The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Scott Wapner in tonight for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman. Feinerman, not a fireman. <laughs> it's all right. Steve Grasso. It's okay. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been in the seat. And Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Apple's big day. The stock at an all-time high, racing toward a trillion-dollar market cap, the first U.S. company to reach that landmark. And you won't believe how high some analysts think it could go. Plus, it's a windfall. Get it? Uh, maybe not the good kind. The casino crush continuing after hours. Wind down nearly double digits. That earnings call underway will bring you the very latest. But we start with Tesla, one of the most controversial stocks in the market, charging higher after reporting earnings moments ago, posting a larger than expected loss. We've got full team coverage throughout the hour. Gene Munster is getting ready to jump on the earnings call. Starts in about 30 minutes. Our Phil LeBeau is in Chicago standing by with instant analysis. And remember, it is the call that everyone will be watching. Phil, kick it off with you as we await word from Mr. Musk himself. And Scott, this is a relief rally. That's what we're seeing right now, because if you look at the numbers for the quarter, we've said it all along. The, the earnings per share is really not what people are focused on. Yeah, it was a loss of 306, and the expectation was a loss of 292 per share. That's not what's moving this stock. What's moving the stock is the fact that the cash position, they ended the quarter a little better than many people expected, $2.2 billion in cash on hand. The cash flow, about $739 million, that's better than many were expecting. I saw some estimates of saying, look, we could see them going through $1.1, $1.2 billion in the quarter. They're still projecting to be profitable in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. And when it comes to Model 3 production in terms of where they were in July, could they sustain at 5000 per week? The company said that they did hit a rate of 5000 per week at times during the month of July. That doesn't mean it was all month. It means that they were able to not only achieve it at the end of June, but at times during the month of July. And they are still projecting a production rate of 6,000 Model 3s per week by the end of August. And finally, one other piece of news that perhaps is giving investors a little bit of relief. They're going to be trimming their capital expenditures for next year. It was expected to be about $3.4 billion. They're now saying, you know what, we don't think we need to build as many assembly lines. We can simply make the lines that we have now much more efficient. Therefore, they're going to bring back the capital expenditure expectations to about $2.5 billion. And again, Scott, that call starts in about 25, 30 minutes. Yeah, which is why, Phil, we will check back in with you a little bit later on. So despite a larger-than-expected loss, the stock is higher is this the beginning of a Tesla turnaround, and do you just keep betting on Elon Musk? Well, first of all, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. It's nice to have you, although despite your butchering Fireman. of Karen's <laughs> surname. I know, it's terrible. It's, it's a long day for you. I apologize. So a few weeks ago, really Steve fun. was sitting to my right. I was sitting here. I think Tesla was trading 320 or so, and I said I think Tesla now, the negative headlines are going to sort of dominate. I think there's a really good chance we see 280. Steve said, I hope not. I'm going to stay long. Traded down to 288 or something, 289 on Monday. So, in essence, you can actually be both right. Here it is now. What's the point? 
Cash burn wasn't as bad. Phil just said on all the salient points. And their cash position is probably better than people thought. What does it mean? It means shorts, like Mr. Musk said, are going to get squeezed. If this can close above 325 over the next couple of sessions, it's probably poised to take out the all-time high. All right, Grasso, you went long. You were long into the print. So I was long into the print. I, I got long around the 280 level originally when it, uh, when it faded back in May. So that was, for me, where I was trying to bottom tick the stock. I bottom ticked it quite effectively. The problem is I didn't top tick it. Traded to 370. That's why I should have bailed out of the name. So the momentum to Guy's point, everyone is negative. Everyone is negative. You, get, you go to a kid's party now, and because I have kids, you go to a kid's party now, and everyone's telling you that's a hell of a short. That, to me, everyone's on the wrong side of the boat. I'm going to stay long because I do think you're going to see another pop. Right. Miss Feinerman. Yes, sir. Feinerman. Yes. So we only, I feel like we only have half the release here, right? <laughs> we haven't heard him, we haven't heard him speak, and we know how eventful that could That's be. Right. Does he, right? Yeah, does, he, again. does he question <laughs> the questioners <laughs> right. I mean, like so, he did last time? Yeah, that was. Does he talk about the shorts like he likes to do and right, troll also, David think, Einhorn last night? I saw that, um, sending him a pair of shorts or going Short to, shorts. I guess. Yes, yeah, short shorts. So we only have sort of half the information that we need. I, I don't get it. I don't get the valuation. I mean, I, I think the product is fantastic, but I don't get the valuation. I wouldn't own it here, but I sure as hell wouldn't short it. It is obviously a cold stock. I know at the kids' birthday parties, I'm glad you added that you have kids. <laughs> That's you why you went. Yeah, that weird. was important. Right. I, I know you're in the stock, yeah. and it, it's been such a momentum play, but do you get the valuation? You don't think I don't you even get it? I don't, no, I don't think about it. Nor did I think about the valuation in Amazon when it was trading $190. I didn't Great think thought. about it. I thought people that were focused on, on the valuation were missing the idea that they're only going to get exponential growth in, in that name. But, so at what but, point does valuation have to yeah, matter? But here's you the can't problem. say never. Exactly yeah. the debate I wanted to never. Well, they've said never so far on right. Amazon. That is true. Right. That is so, true. Right. So, so I do out. think that Amazon is a totally different story than yeah, this. Yeah, I do. I and, agree. and he I agree. wants to be a car company. I don't want to slap on a car valuation onto a Tesla. So I have a problem with this. This, for me, is, is about when does he get the little Momo back? And I think he's actually trying to be something that I don't want him to be. I want him to be the growth guy. I want him to be the Momo guy. I don't want him, when, when, you, when you see when he's going to be profitable, when you see that headline come across, there was a time when he used to say, I could be profitable and never even say what quarter. Right. And no one cared. Now he has to slap a quarter on it. So he's definitely running out of time on this. And that's what makes me You think he has long. to start to live up to the projections. It's already started. Every, everyone is holding him accountable for the first time in the last, let's call it a year. The three factors coming into this were, are they going to miss? And most everybody, I think, was in agreement with, they probably are doesn't really matter because of the fact, like you say, everybody is forward-looking still, right? They're giving him the opportunity to continue to be the Elon Musk that he's been. The other is cash burn. Well, we already got that update right just in front of us right now, right? CapEx, they're going to cut back a little bit. They think they're getting more efficient. They've already had some job cuts there. I think they cut back 9% not that long ago. So there's a lot going on in terms of what was several months ago, this cash burn problem that they had and how much money that they've got right now. Phil talked about $2.2 billion, right? $800 million in revenue coming in. So there's a lot of different factors right now, Scott, that make this a very interesting trade. And will the shorts get squeezed pretty big this time? Production is one of those. But the last thing really is about Elon Musk and how he handles this earnings call. Will he be prickly and angry and attacking? 
or will he be more of a CEO of a company that is trading like a tech company that's masquerading potentially as an auto company? That's what we're waiting for. It's become now the most important thing beyond the numbers is how Musk uh, acts publicly. You. You care about that? I don't that? think he is going to slip up the way he slipped up on that call. I don't think. Did he, he slip up? I don't. Well, well you know, when we sometimes that works a little it, bit, it right? It depends. No. On the call, it was fine. The other comments that he made in, in an unrelated incident, yes. that that's not fine. But on the call, I kind of want my CEO to stand up to a uh, to an analyst and tell him. You know, get back in your place. I got this covered. Wait, 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 what? Are you serious? Yeah. You have public securities out there, and they ask you a question, and you, you, and you think that's an appropriate response? Well, I think it's an appropriate response if if the analyst just keeps whining about the same things, and he's been wrong for year after year, month after month. I think it's it's warranted, and I think we expect CEOs to sit are in this little box. Say I want him to bite every once in a while. Are you serious? You don't think there's? So I understand if he doesn't want to take. Musk, though. I understand if he doesn't. I'm. You know if he. He's too busy. Yeah, you know what? That was he Tony Sakanagi, who's a, a very well-respected well like analyst. I like Tony. That's but fine if he doesn't want to answer. If he wants to have a CFO on the call and do that, that's fine. But for him to be on the call and and to, to just dismiss really, I mean, meaningful, important I, questions. Hey, I will point out. I don't know why. Why is he It's he a different world than Elon Musk right now, quite frankly, if you go back 15 or 20 years. But I'll tell you what. Stephen Jobs wasn't the most friendly guy in the world oftentimes when he was confronted by folks. Now, it was different how he did it and how he handled himself in the past, but there were times where he'd be pretty angry as well. And, and so it's a different time now, and Elon Musk is far more aggressive. I'm not say, saying that he should be doing this combative sort of thing with the analysts like right. he has. But, but, but Karen just said he should be held accountable. His stock got clobbered. It was he was held accountable. It was held I mean, accountable for, for not addressing truth, and he was he was accountable. He's going to be on the call. He He's, himself he doesn't the want to have sell the, the stock. Along. Sell the stock. All right, okay. I, I, we can discuss later. <laughs> Fire. All right. All right, for more on Tesla, let's bring in Gene Munster, who recently wrote a critical note of Musk. It was an open letter, Gene. Uh, why don't you just weigh in on the debate that we just had on the desk? It seems beyond the fundamentals of Tesla, beyond the numbers, it is more these days about Musk himself. It is, and as it should be, I think investors going into this call in it are kind of shivering to see which Musk shows up. Odds are that he's going to pull it together. But my, uh, the way I weigh in on this is what happened last quarter at the, on the conference call was unacceptable. Pete, I love you, but I, I think that that just crossed the line there, and then obviously it progressed from that point. The part that gets missed in this whole question about Elon Musk and, and how he behaves is this company is very different than a typical company. Elon Musk uses a referral network, his personality, to drive sales. You don't see commercials for Tesla, for example. And separately, is they have to win, he has to win over investors in order to keep funding this story. And I think there's an important sub-point to tonight's results when they talk about financing that debt for the Chinese, uh, for this Shanghai factory. That is a sign that he still has confidence. But I, I think this is a really important topic, and we are going to be acutely listening to his behavior on the call tonight. Hey, Gene, I got a quick question for you just to go back a little bit with you on that. You say he has to win over investors. I think he's, got, he's won over the true investors. He's just a guy who's not really willing to go in front of the analysts, and he's willing to actually combat with them when they do, when they come back and forth with him. I'm not saying what he did was absolutely right. I don't think that. I, I don't believe that. But it seems to me like he is a guy who's talking to the folks that want to buy their stock and want to own that stock. 
And those guys have done very, very well because when you look at the metrics over the last multiple years, the metrics really haven't changed a whole heck of a lot. Matter of fact, they've gotten worse. And yet these guys have continued to be wrong, many of them, that haven't analyzed this stock the way that a lot of us have. You particularly, because you've talked about this being a tech stock first that actually builds into the hardware side of it being the cars, right? Yeah, we're, we're definitely believers in this story. It's a wonderful mission, the mission to accelerate the globe's adoption of renewable energy. It's not about making a great car. That gets lost in some of this noise. And, and my just kind of final thought on, on his behavior last quarter, it was bizarre. And uh, I think that he could have done it in a more measured way. All right, Gene, we'll be back with you shortly. Uh, stay, stay near the phone. I'll give you the last word. Uh, from, from a former analyst himself and a, a notable one uh, at that. I, I think at this point we've reached peak pessimism in Tesla. I, I, can you imagine it being any more negative it's than always it is had, right I, now? It's always had no, massive short I, I think because even guys after that analyst call, guys that were on the fence about it came out against it, and you saw the stock price suffer. So I think people have gotten a little long in the tooth on the negativity. We're starting to see a better Elon Musk, and I think we'll see a better one on the call tonight. And I do believe that the stock can ratchet substantially higher from here. All right, coming up, casino stocks uh, crapping out today and now shares of Wynn tanking after hours. The company reported earnings moments ago. Not a pretty picture. There it is. More details coming up. Plus, Bitcoin falling off the wagon this week, down nearly 10%. But Wall Street's king of crypto is here. He says the sell-off could actually be a good sign for the cryptocurrency. He's going to explain. And later, he's the international man of mystery, the man who moves markets. There he is. Marco Kalanovich, he is going to be here. He's already here, but he'll be up with us to tell you why he thinks it's time to make a big change to your portfolio. <laughs> Live from Times Square in New York City. There's much more That's fast money right shot. after the break. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Win getting crushed on earnings, although off-session lows. This after Caesars tanked and took the whole group down today. Contessa Brewer in the newsroom following this story all day long. Contessa. Yeah, Scott. So Win gets the majority of its revenue from Macau. And their VIP business at Win Macau got hammered. CEO Matt Maddox blames the World Cup, which attracted gamblers away from the casino. And he pointed fingers at his competitors who re-entered the VIP business, though he did not mention them by name. Las Vegas Sands told us last week they outperformed in Macau in Q2. Still, Maddox says Wynn's commitment to luxury and experience is already paying off in Q3. He says that in July, their uh, monthly sequential growth is up 20% significantly outperforming the market, that their EBITDA here is up $4.3 million per day. And he reinforced his commitment to Japan. He says he's very excited about going in there. Uh, talked about construction, about the casino in Massachusetts. And he mirrored what we heard from Caesars CEO Mark Fasora today about the big market drop there, that there is going to be some softness in quarter three in Las Vegas because there's a lack of scheduled events. Last year, this time, they had a big fight, the Mayweather fight, um, that's a tough comp for them. 
them. Uh, so anyway, Maddox says his view on quarter three is kind of mirroring what we heard from Caesars. Yeah, and uh, that's why we're seeing the stock move around, though it is well off the lows. Contessa, thank you very much. Yeah, Contessa Brewer back at headquarters. I don't know. The thing that I find funny is the World Cup. It's been scheduled for quite some time, right? <laughs> People have known that the World Cup was coming. I don't know. It's odd to me that it was a surprise in the quarter. Yeah, softness know. in July, August. Uh, maybe things improve in the summer. You own win. I own win, and I'm, I'm glad to see Because earlier, this was down, I think, 10% uh, yeah. or thereabouts, uh, you know, up, when it first came out. Now it's only down about 2% or something like that. But I think if you do look for going forward, yeah, there's competition with Las Vegas Sands. We know that. But Macau's strength is, is there. And the VIP, I think it sounds like it started to turn around a bit, a bit in July, I think Contessa was just saying. So I think that's part of the reason we're seeing the stock actually start to come back. I see this stock very easily into the 170s in the not-too-distant future. Caesars obviously didn't help. I mean, that stock's down 15% today. You know, when we sort of had it cold, I remember when Pete and I were on the desk, Steve, as well, we talked about it after the Steve Wynn episode happened. We said, you know, that 165, 170 level is probably a gift. It's going to trade back to 200. It happened. That's the good news. The bad news, it fell to 200, yeah. which is where it topped out in, earlier this year in January. So what do you say now? If you think this is a one-off quarter, the Macau is going to reaccelerate. Then on valuation alone, I think it's very interesting. 150 was the low, I think, at the beginning of the month. I think it holds right there. You have to ask yourself, what's more important, Las Vegas or Macau, and which has a better growth opportunity? So if you think it's Las Vegas, then you go with MGM. But the problem is we've heard both of them have headwinds right now. So what's more likely to recover quicker? It's got to be Macau. So then you're sticking to the side that says win or Las Vegas Sands are your bets against an MGM that's down 14% year-to-date and looking for a lagger to catch up is probably going blue in the face. Did you ask yourself? No. You didn't? I asked you. Well, you said it's the question you got to ask yourself. I call you yourself. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right, still ahead. No show would be complete without Bitcoin. Don't worry. Wall Street's king of crypto will be here to explain why this week's sell-off in Bitcoin could actually be a good thing. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. And the man who some say can predict the future says it's time to make a major change to your portfolio. J.P. Morgan's top strategist, Marco Kolonovic, will be here to explain what that is. Plus, with the Tesla earnings call moments away, Wall Street wonders, will Musk have another meltdown? Next. Next. Boring bonehead questions are not cool. Next. We are live on the call when Fast Money returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Apple jumping almost 6% today as the company races to that $1 trillion market cap. So just how high does Wall Street think it will go? Our Josh Lipton is live with those details. Josh. Scott, investors celebrated Apple's results today. So, too, did a lot of analysts. A clean beat on the path to $1 trillion. Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty said, saying she sees more upside than downside risk to the upcoming iPhone product cycle. Hits news for 90 days, path to trillion intact. RBC's Amit Daryanani chimed in. Others a bit more cautious here. With positives and negatives largely balanced at current levels, we view valuation as fair and maintain our hold. Deutsche Bank telling its clients. Bernstein's Tony Sakanagi was on your show earlier today, Scott, giving his take on the quarter. Take a listen. Many people, ourselves included, were worried about the traction that the iPhone 10 might have with consumers at that price point, and Apple's proving us wrong. Still, Sakanagi remains market perform on the name, worrying that the increase we're seeing in average selling prices are likely not sustainable longer term, he says. But skeptics in short supply, at least today, Apple charging higher here, getting ever closer to that $1 trillion milestone. Most analysts covering Apple continue to believe you should own it. 61% have a buy rating on the stock. Scott, back to you. Okay. Josh Lipton, thank you so much. All right. You guys agree? Pete Najarian, you're up first. By the way, because of the new share count, 20704. Mm. Yeah. It's the new what we need to get to. Well, Josh brought up Katie Huberty. 20704 for a trillion dollars. Yep, and, and Morgan Stanley, and she actually raised her price target to 232. So that gives you a little idea of how bullish she really is after this call. And she she very directly, I read her note completely. Oh, I'm very, sure you did. I'm sure I did too. Because <laughs> she has not wavered. But when you look at the services and you look at the wearables and you look at that growth rate that they've got, 31% in one, 37% in the other, and those numbers are real. We're talking about not very, uh, everybody, any other company, these would be the entire company. Services company's is $30 billion. I'm sorry? Services is $30 billion. Thir services is, is a $10 billion annually kind of a thing. So it's pretty impressive what, what we're looking at right now. I mean, th these numbers, Scott, I think really give you the idea that they also in increased the margin I think it's higher, because of actually. the ASPs. It's, yes, it is. It is. Yeah. It, is. Yeah. it was $10 million in, billion in the quarter for services. Right. right. $10 billion annually right now. The rev is $30 billion for services, and everyone was worried about, is this number going to do anything more than an incremental move in the stock? It's been an iPhone company. It's been a hardware company. But when you really look at it, if they can move the needle on all these other things, that's what you want well, to try to real press. And they are moving the needle. And but but this, this is something that should have never been pulled in to that value with the FANG stocks when they were getting slammed off of Netflix and this was getting slammed as well. It's not a FANG stock, but it's on the peripheral of the FANG element. This should have, now that, was a, that was a buyer's gift for you to buy this at a discount when the rest of the quote unquote FANG overvalued names were getting slammed. Apple was never an overvalued name. Okay. Well, despite the big move in Apple, our next guest says it is time to get out of growth and into value. Let's bring in the man some say can move markets, mm. J.P. Morgan's global head of derivatives and quantitative strategy, Marco Kalanovic. Marco, welcome back. Thank you. Um, look, I, you know, if I had a quarter for every time somebody said values it, you know, I'd be a rich person right now. 
No, that's that, that's true. So actually, we're not necessarily saying get out of the value, go, uh, get out of the growth, go into value. We are saying value actually could rally here. We are also focused on some specific market segments. You know, for instance, emerging markets. You know, we think that there is a good valuation proposition in emerging markets. We think the positioning is very light. We think that actually there is a, a quite a bit of short positioning on the upside. So dealers are short, a lot of call options, CTAs are short. So if you could have a bit of a move up, you could have a, a rally in emerging markets. We do like value sectors who are also related to, uh, uh, to sort of either a trade or, you know, potentially weaker dollar or some of the sort of sectors which uh, just look cheap. And we'll what do you like mean? Like which ones? Industrials? Well, industrials are, are they would uh, fall in the value category. They're not as cheap, you know. But, energy? You know, um, energy, uh, very much driven by oil, you know. So we would, for instance, uh, point to, uh, you know, semis, um, you know, even sort of tech segments in emerging markets, um, uh, financials, some of the financials like European banks or uh, regional U.S. banks. You know, like, so you'll find value in, in every sector, you know. Uh, so so we, we, like, uh, we like value. Rotation started happening last week. We think it's going gonna, it's gonna to move, you know. That said, we are overweight tech as a sector, so don't get me wrong. We are not negative on the tech. Understood. Karen? Yeah, let me ask something. When you talk about value, how do you define value? Is it cheap to itself, cheap to the market? What's your, what's your criteria? We basically look at it typically cross-sectionally within sector, you know, so we kind of normalize various metrics like P, price per earnings, price per sales, price per book, you know. We'll, we'll look at different industries a bit, tweak the metric. But generally, uh, you know, generally we were a bit concerned with sort of stocks that rally too much momentum, hyper growth stocks. Some of these valuations are pretty high. Arguably, in the last week, many of them already came, came down, you know, so, so maybe we are a bit less concerned. But we do still think that value can have a legs. You know, value usually rally when there is a risk on trade, when there's a strong growth. So we like the GDP. We do think that trade will get resolved, uh, you know, sooner or later. Uh, and we also think the dollar is a bit strong here. So those could also be catalysts to propel the uh, value. Well, would you be overweight emerging markets relative to the United States? So, so in our asset allocation portfolio, we are overweight both U.S. and emerging market. We're a little bit cautious on Europe and Japan. Uh, so we do like U.S., uh, I would say we do like better uh, emerging market, but that would not be a long Because of trade. the hit that, that it, they've taken. Emerging market took a big hit. You know, they're down, um, you know, almost double digit this year. Um, you know, since 2007, emerging market and dollar terms are down, you know, so, so, uh, so they really never recovered from the crisis. You know, so if you could have a good growth, if you could resolve a bit of this trade nonsense, you know, I think they would actually rally pretty fast. All right, Marco, thanks for being here, as always. Thanks. All right, J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalinovich. All right, would Is you he rather... more James Bond or Bond villain, in your opinion, Marco? <laughs> he's still here, but he's going to leave. What do you think? I know my answer. Like he's definitely more Bond villain, I'll, I'll but I'll dig him either way. Yeah. Okay, what do you, you think, value or growth here? Glad you asked, Scott. And you know what he didn't mention, Marco, is I think there's real value in health care. You look at what... And Pete's pointing at me because I think he agrees with me. You look at what's happened in Pfizer over the last week, week and a half. Actually, look what happened to Pfizer since President Trump put the bullseye on their back. Stock has performed well. So if you're looking for value in a sector that has been ignored and has been uh, castigated, I think it comes in the form of health care. So, so I think Apple is both, right? We talked about that. Netflix is definitely growth. I think you have to have a, a fair share of, of both. And I think the damage has been done to the growth side of the equation I do think you'll see some money coming back in there because I think when people start to look at value, Karen said, how do you judge value? And I think most people are perplexed with that, saying, well, am I going to get any type of appreciation in stock price and capital return or anything? What is really value? What's growth? And they're going to come back to those names that have run this bull market for the last couple of years.
And absolutely, and guy, guy took the words. I was literally thinking healthcare. You're going to say castigated? Well, no, I wasn't going to say castigated. No, I, I, <laughs> didn't, I, I didn't send him that word. I never worked on the farm. But anyway, so when I look at healthcare, I mean, <laughs> thank you for getting that guy. But the healthcare side of it, though, you do have a lot of names out there, whether it's Pfizer, Merck, I think you can go through, but also even biotech. Healthcare's been doing think, incredibly well. Right, incredibly well. But we've seen a little bit more of a rotation coming back towards them, along with the financials. I know we don't see the same kind of growth that we'd love to see. Financials are growing more than people want to put up, and the loan growth is the part that the element. When that hits with a 3% on the yield right now, giddy up. All right. Still ahead, Tesla is higher after hours. The company conference call just moments away now. Gene Munster is manning the red phone. He's going to bring us the very latest from the always colorful Elon Musk. Plus, Square volatile after an earnings beat. Jack Dorsey on the call as we speak. We're going to bring you the latest there as well. More fast after the break. Welcome back to Fast Money Square. Now falling after hours following the company's earnings report. Aditi Roy is in San Francisco with the highlights from the call and the latest analyst reactions. Aditi. That's right. Shares are following after the company's Q3 guidance came in short of expectations. Wall Street analysts are weighing in on those numbers. Mark Palmer from BTIG says, while the company's 2Q18 results were solid, the company's 3Q18 adjusted EPS and adjusted EBITDA guidance was light versus consensus expectations, as was its full-year 2018 adjusted EPS and adjusted EBITDA guidance. It appears that Square was unable to surmount what had been a very high bar. However, other analysts were more bullish. Josh Beck from KeyBank says, while some may nitpick given the company only maintained its 2018 EBITDA guidance for of $240 million to $250 million despite a 2Q18 beat, we believe the momentum with various initiatives warrants increased investment. Broad-based momentum suggests Square is expanding beyond its payment processing routes into a comprehensive small business management platform complemented by a growing presence in consumer financial services. On the call, CFO Sarah Fryer said the company is doubling down on investment in the business while staying mindful of fiscal discipline. The company has been focusing on three main areas of investment, omnichannel, which allows sellers to engage with buyers wherever they are, also financial services and international growth. As far as other big growth areas, the company's Cash App customers spent $250 million with Cash Card. That's nearly tripling since December of 2017. Its peer-to-peer -peer Cash App is growing faster than PayPal's Venmo, according to a recent Nomura report. And lastly, guys, Caviar, the online restaurant app, saw its Q2 revenues double year over year. Back to you, Scott. Aditi, thank you very much. Let's trade it now. Karen, your sister works at Square. Yes, we my sister works at Square. Get all that out disclosure. there I mean, before it, your comments. Yeah, it was an outstanding quarter. I mean, there was a lot, a lot to like about it. The revenue acceleration was really good. I think that, that their services platform, we haven't even begun to see it yet. The restaurant services, all the way through from there, all the way through to Caviar to actually deliver the food. I think they, people are a little disappointed in EBITDA. They've said, they've been consistent saying, we're going to spend to grow. And they keep saying that. I think these numbers were great. The only problem is the bar was very high going into this earnings report. Okay. Payment stock's a big part of the Bitcoin bull thesis, but this week the cryptocurrency could be, dare we say, back in Bitcoin purgatory. Bitcoin fell below 8,000 after breaking through that key level one week ago. This after the SEC rejected what would have been the first Bitcoin ETF. Investors now wondering if Bitcoin is doomed to be stuck in the six to 7,000 range. 
that had been in place starting mid-May. Our next guest, though, says the drop isn't actually bad for the cryptocurrency. Bart Smith, the head of digi digital asset at Susquehanna, we call him Wall Street's crypto king. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, why is it not such bad news that this ETF was squashed. So there's a couple of things. When we, uh, I was on about three weeks ago and there were kind of two things we talked about. BK and I kind of talked about how a lot of the traders we spoke with saw that 6,800 level as kind of being something that needed to break through. Every time we got to 6,800, it kind of petered out and, and, and rolled over. Uh, Dan brought up the point that he didn't care about any rally because it was a bear market rally. We continued to have lower highs and lower lows. So we needed to break out of that. So you, you look forward to the announcement of a new Bitcoin ETF coming out. So you look to this, this past month, and you know there's a lot of enthusiasm around it. It gets to 6,800, goes from 6,800 right to 7,300, kind of get, gathers there and goes all the way up to 8,400. The Winklevoss ETF is denied, and it kind of grinds back down to 7,500 here. So where are we today? Dan's point still remains, right? We need to see higher highs and and lower and lower uh, or higher lows. And so if it continues to break through and hold at 7,500 and bounce higher, I think it probably is very bullish. The technicians I talked to are concerned about 6,800. That's the level where I think if it breaks through, it would be negative. Now, as far as the, the Bitcoin ETF denial, there, there are four commissioners. One, one was a dissenter, right? So Commissioner Hester basically said, this is, you know, everything was put out there that needed to be put out there. The ETF should be approved. There were three commissioners who were concerned about liquidity and, and manipulation in the market. So you have to address those concerns and move forward. But it didn't go right down to 6,100, right? It held at 6,500 where it is today. And it probably rallies higher from here if there's more good news on the horizon. What are bulls hoping for? Am I hoping for more regulation or less regulation? Uh, more adoption? How, how do I get, because when I talk to guys and I speak to global funds every day, I want to know how people can get a, a little more liquidity in these names, get in and out quicker, and how they can have the right to trade it on their desk. So I don't even know what I'm hoping for if I'm a bull right now. So a lot of things we've talked about, right? A qualified custodian would be a big deal. If more banks were clearing the futures, which trade $400 million a day, about another $250 million a day in the exchanges that underlie them. So there's, you know, there's $650 million a day in U.S. liquidity there. Uh, what would be a, a big bull? If a big brand name pension endowment foundation insurance company came out and said in a filing, over the course of the last three months, I took a 1% allocation of my equity risk bucket because... Bitcoin basically has a zero correlation to stocks. And by going 1% Bitcoin and 99% equities, my risk profile is lower, right? Like Square is half as volatile as Bitcoin, right? So if, if I own $100 of Square and I own $50 of Bitcoin, I basically got the same risk on. So as soon as institutions start thinking about Bitcoin like that and not as this scary thing that needs to be regulated, I mean, it's about smart regulation. It's not about more. I don't think we need, want more regulation. I just think we want smart regulation and we want regulatory clarity. Real quick question about Bitcoin, because one of the things that somebody pointed out months ago was a lack of volume. And yeah. as, it, as it was plummeting, volume completely dried up. Yes. Has the volume returned to give you the confidence that maybe it has sort of found that 6,800 bottom and that maybe it's going to start rising again? Is it's, the volume returned? It, it's certainly, again, there's, there's as, as BK always points out, the majority yeah. of this stuff, majority of the volume happens outside the U.S., U.S. volume is what I care about because that's what's going to get a Bitcoin ETF and, and U.S. institutions into Bitcoin. Right. Uh, that, that has been pretty consistently at $400 million a day. It had dipped down to 200 right. where it kind of bottomed out, and now it's right back up to $400 million a day. CFE, CME futures combined six of the last seven days over $400 million a day. 
So it's, you know, $40 million is not nothing. It's enough that a big insurance company or CalPERS or a state, you know, pension could put a little bit of money in there. And I think that would be the sign that, you know what, I got to get in now. Because right now, I think every institution is looking on the dance floor and nobody's dancing and, and no one wants to be the first person out there. Has nobody done that? I, I mean, I, it's, I, it's I think been circling for a long time. Nobody's even taken a 1% position. I don't, I'm not saying, I'm talking about someone who's a big brand yeah, name. Yeah. Someone filing. Like I mean, that. I haven't seen a filing where someone has said, you know what, a, a big brand name that has a 1% filing in, in, in the futures. And in the absence of a qualified custodian, they can't hold spot. So, so I think that that's going to be a catalyst. I mean, you know, there's other things too. If the IRS had a de minimis tax exemption for transactions under $600 where you don't have to report capital gains, that would be a big thing because then people might want to buy, you know, uh, their McDonald's with a Bitcoin. But right now, if I buy McDonald's with a Bitcoin, I have to keep track of what gains I have on that and report that to the government. Like, that's an obstruction. So things like that but that are going to take a long time to, to work out. Everyone wants it fast and now it's the society we live in. But this is a long game, and I think that a lot of things are happening out there where people see the opportunity, and we're going to continue to see institutional uh, adoption and the plumbing get built so that that can happen. All right, Bart, thank you very much. Thanks. All right. For more, for more on Bitcoin, head to futuresnow.cnbc.com to see what our own Brian Kelly had to say about the cryptocurrencies drop. Coming up, Express Scripts getting crushed today on reports that activist Carl Icahn We'll try and stop the company's planned merger with health insurer Cigna. They just reported earnings as well. We'll have the very latest. Plus, Tesla up nearly 7% after hours at the highs. Elon Musk speaking on the earnings call right now. What's he going to say? We'll tell you when we come back on Fast. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Express Scripts getting crushed today, now volatile in the after-hour session after reporting earnings. This as billionaire investor Carl Icahn is now taking aim at the company's merger with Cigna. Get to our own Meg Terrell with the very latest. Meg? Hey, Scott. Well, Express Scripts did just report its second quarter earnings. Those looking basically in line, but analysts essentially saying those almost look like a non-event when you think about the bombshell that was dropped in the form of Carl Icahn's news uh, this afternoon. The activist investor reportedly has built a stake in Cigna and plans to oppose uh, its proposed merger with Express Scripts worth about $54 billion, this being reported by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the journal also reporting that he may seek to influence other investors uh, and encourage them also to vote against the deal. Reportedly, his issue with it is that the price is too high. It was worth about $54 billion when it was announced, or about $96 per Express Scripts shares. Uh, and you can also see that Express Scripts has not traded up to that amount. It's about $74 a share right now, so about a 20% delta uh, from where when the deal was announced. Uh, in addition to the price uh, issue that Icon reportedly has with the deal, uh, there are a couple other things that have emerged as pressures to Express Scripts' industry since the deal was announced. Uh, one of those analysts point out is Trump's drug pricing blueprint and his focus in it uh, on the pharmacy benefits managers industry and the rebate structure in drug pricing, that causing a lot of pressure in that space. Of course, the other one is Amazon's acquisition of PillPack getting into the space and causing a lot more pressure uh, on this industry, guys. Those emerging and even building since March. Shareholders are scheduled to vote on this deal August 24th. So a lot of activity to keep watching until then, Scott. Back yeah, to you. Yeah, looking forward to this uh, still developing story. Meg, thank you so much. With Icon now attempting to block the deal, what does it mean for shareholders of Express Scripts? Guy. 
Well, Express Scripts can't be happy, and I never thought really Express Scripts was all that interesting anyway. I think Mr. Icon is on to something. I think the real play is, and we've been wrong for a while because I thought it was value for a long time, but Cygnus is too cheap on valuation. I mean, this stock got crushed earlier this year. If you like Etnet close to 18 times, I think you got to love Cigna at 12 and a half. So just in terms of a value play with Icon in it now, I think it's Cigna all the way. Okay. okay. Uh, no, that's right. it. You don't want to ask Pete or Karen or I mean, Steve. I was waiting for somebody to, was was waiting for somebody to offer something well, no, I mean, up. They're waiting for you. Yeah, no, look, I there mean, were some huge numbers out crickets. today. Molina, Humana, I mean, giant, giant in the space. You, Cigna probably would trade up. Right. Well, re reports Icon could shake up the Cigna Express merger uh, sent the options market into a frenzy. Mike Coe out in San Francisco with more. Mike. Oh, there, yeah. So we did see more than four times the average daily put volume in Express Scripts today. Some of it was pretty interesting because actually we did see a buy of over 4,000 of the weekly 79 puts, uh, and that was actually before this news came out. Those are obviously profitable already, and then we subsequently saw a buy of about 1,000 August 70 puts, uh, which obviously is an indication uh, that the stock is going to be going lower uh, after this news. Yeah, Mike, sorry. I realized my microphone was open. I was talking to the gang here. I didn't mean to distract you there. Uh, no, no, that's quite all right. <laughs> Mike Coe out in San Francisco. It's a live television. That's what happens. Yeah. All right, for more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Thank goodness I didn't say anything worse. All right, still ahead. <laughs> Tesla up uh, in the after hours. Elon Musk just apologized on the conference call. We'll tell you what for and get instant reaction from tech guru Gene Munster. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla, uh, after hours highs right now. The conference call is underway. Let's get back to Phil LeBeau in Chicago for the details. Phil, what is Mr. Musk saying on this call that has the stock rising? Well, it's a couple of things, and we'll play the soundbite from him in a little bit about profitability. That's why the stock is moving higher, but we should make two quick notes because this gets a lot of attention and has since the last earnings call. First of all, the tone for Elon Musk, much more conciliatory. He's not combative and prickly as he sometimes can be. And in, along those lines, he has apologized to Tony Sakanagi, who asked the question last uh, quarter, and he was told, hey, that's a bonehead question. That's the notes in terms of the tenor of the phone call. Why is the stock moving higher? Here's Elon Musk talking about where the company is now in terms of profitability possibilities starting next quarter. Our goal is to uh, be profitable for, and cash flow positive for every quarter uh, going forward. Um, now, obviously, if there's a big recession or there's a severe force majeure event, that uh, it trusts our supply chain, that's not always possible. Uh, but um, we're, we're confident that in uh, provided the economy is you know, roughly where it is today or reasonably good, um, and there's not a big portion of your event that we, I, I feel comfortable um, uh, achieving a uh, gap income positive and cash flow positive quarter every quarter from here on out. Scott, you combine those comments along with better-than-expected results in terms of liquidity and cash burn from the second quarter, and that's why you have a stock that is moving substantially higher after hours. Scott, back to you. All right, Phil. Thank you very much. Phil LeBeau for us in Chicago. Let's get back to Gene Munster, also listening uh, on the phone at the Plasma. All right, Gene, give me your reaction. I mean, you're the guy who wrote the open letter telling him to, uh, you know, get back on the program or whatever, but is this... 
take things in the right direction, an apology to, uh, to Tony? I was very uh, surprised, Scott, and I think it does kind of show a new tone. People don't change overnight. I want to caution investors that I'm sure there's going to be something in the next few months that might not sit right. But this is a major step forward from a very proud person to have that kind of commentary. And second, and that's kind of the, the, the shine on this quarter here, as far as the substance, his reiteration that they will be profitable into perpetuity now, I think is comforting because that's the whole negative story here is that they're going to run out of cash. So I think that's comforting. And one final thing to think about here is that when we look at the number of pre-orders, they're not giving reservation numbers out anymore because you're taking orders versus reservations, but 400,000 plus, and they don't even have Model 3s in all the stores for people to test drive. As they get out into the wild, I suspect you're going to see an acceleration of growth rate uh, from the Model 3 in the next couple of years. Very encouraging developments here on the Tesla story. Gene, what was the most interesting thing on the call? I'm, I'm actually looking at the, the quote from Musk about uh, to Tony Sakanagi. No excuse for bad manners uh, is what Musk uh, said to Tony Sakanagi. It's a subtle point, and it's funny that we're talking about this kind of stuff, but that is the most significant part, at least uh, in my mind, because Elon Musk is such a central part of the story, and to have some increased confidence that he's on track, I think, should uh, reassure investors that this wonderful mission that they're on can be accomplished. What, give me a final grade, then. If you, have, you take everything into consideration, the numbers, Musk himself, you put teacher... Munster puts what grade on this? This is a B plus. And I think that, you know, the financials still aren't where they need to be. They still have some work to go there. But I think his commentary, his, uh, uh, his kind of uh, tenure on the call, and I think what they're saying about continued profitability going forward, I think makes this a very respectable quarter and gives the company some, uh, a clear path to uh, continuing to move the stock higher. All right, Gene, good stuff. Gene Munster Thank uh, you. joining us there. Go back to you, right? He apologized to Tony, even though you had no problem with his behavior. <laughs> One of the few. Well, the stock price sold off, so I had a problem being long. But other than that, you, wanna, you want a CEO that defends the stock. He didn't defend it the proper way, but I, I, I do applaud him for not being bashful when people come at him. He goes right back at them. So, yes, he did not say it properly, but I do appreciate that he is combative to analysts in his name. Now, having said that, stock's trading at $325, up 8%. It's infamous for giving back those profits the following day during trading. So you have to watch this name. It runs into resistance at 329 and 340. So there's some hurdles here that we have to do to get back to that 373, really high in the clouds price that we just saw just a handful of weeks ago. I think the B plus makes total sense because what did we really, we, we knew they'd probably miss, right? I mean, there are a lot of things that we, we basically kind of knew going into this quarter, but addressing the financials, that I think was the most important thing. And we look at what their cash position is, and that's something. The efficiency of cutting back on some of the CapEx, that's something. So they're giving up a little something, Scott, becoming more efficient, which is something they absolutely had to do. So I think it's very important. I like what Steve's saying, though. It gets up in this level. Does it pull back a little bit, or can it get through that 329? Karen, the apology? You, well, you I know. like the apology. I mean, the idea of having this visionary CEO who's also who's also sort of more reliable and calm and not so emotional, I think is important, particularly if they need to come back to the debt market. Yeah. All right, let's uh, do final trades. Go around the horn. 
Pete, you're up first. You know, we had Square earnings tonight. PayPal was just a couple of weeks ago. I really like PayPal. I, it sold off. I think it's a great opportunity after selling off to these levels. Karen Feiner. Yes, long going into earnings tomorrow. CBS should be interesting. All right. Steve Grasso. Square, it's about services. I've been long this name since before it was a, uh, a teenager. 12 handle on this name, I'm staying long. Square. Mr. You back with us tomorrow? I am. Giddy, say it, Pete. Giddy up. You know what else is giddy up in? What? Sell, sell gene. You're darn right it is. Yeah, it is. Biotech. <laughs> we talked healthcare. Biotech, baby. All right. Thank you very much. Does Thanks, it for us. God. Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.